Our Lord and our God, we come to you today because we believe that you still speak to your people. I pray that you would speak to us now, that you would speak through me, that your people would receive, that your spirit would move, that you would do great things in our midst. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we do well in these days is uh, special effects in movies. Uh, It does make me a little bit sad now that uh, I have to refer to the old 70s animated version of The Hobbit as the accurate version. Uh, But if you watch the new one, there are great special effects. And if you watch a movie about a biblical story, the story may be completely off uh, to the point that... uh, God may not even be in it, or if he is, he's a minor character. But uh, when we watch movies made today, we do special effects well. We blow things up well. We uh, do spectacular, earth-shaking events, so much so that they are sometimes more believable than the expression on the actor's face. Um, And the reason why I bring this up is uh, in a day when we do look so much at uh, artificial special effects and uh, look at them as great, uh, I think sometimes we get the impression that the Old Testament was full of that kind of stuff. That every time you uh, walked around a corner, there was a bush that was on fire and it started speaking to you. That uh, there were voices in the night constantly, that uh, miracles were happening all over the place. What we see here in 1 Samuel is different than that. 1 Samuel uh, 3, chapter 1. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. If you go back into the book of Judges, you see that God does come here and then, Uh, using very imperfect people. But by and large, the people of Israel at this point are not doing well. We looked at that a little bit, uh, I guess a couple of months ago now, when we saw all the corruption that had come into the nation of Israel, the nation that should have been God's chosen people who should have been priests to the other nations. And what we saw instead was that Eli's sons were corrupt, that they were abusing their position as priests, that they were forcibly taking from the people that which belonged to God alone. They were even committing adultery outside of the temple. Again, we sometimes get the idea that God was very active all the time in big, flashy ways in the Old Testament. But what we see is that God showed up from time to time and did do spectacular things. But in Samuel's day, things like that didn't happen very often. And if you go through and pay attention to the years that go by, we do learn in the Old Testament, it's not that often that you have God show up. Uh, For the Israelites, it was about 400 years between them going into uh, Egypt Uh, with Jacob and Joseph 
and then being brought out with a mighty hand by the power of God through the plagues. At this point, God is fairly quiet. And Israel is a mess. And if you were reading this story and you didn't know what came afterwards, you could very much get the idea that God was pretty much done with Israel and he was going to move on. Instead, God does appear. Not in something greatly earth-shaking. Not in the kind of way that uh, we might expect in the modern action movie where God picks a hero and that hero rises up. God comes to a kid in the night in a way that the kid just thinks that Eli's calling him. Why are you calling me in the middle of the night? As one child just said. Samuel at this point is young. Uh, Sometimes you get the idea that he's really young. Uh, He's probably not five or six as he's often portrayed in uh, picture Bibles and, and the like, but probably more like middle school, maybe early high school. He's young enough that uh, he's a bit worried, a bit concerned to give the message he's been given, but he's old enough to understand that I don't like what I've just heard. And if I was Samuel, I think I'd be thinking, God, can I have another job? Uh, and in, when we look at the, the prophets in the Old Testament, there aren't many that get called to fun, exciting ministries. Uh, as you go through, uh, Samuel's is actually not bad uh, by comparison. Uh, he doesn't get a great fun thing to do. He gets to tell his mentor, uh, who is very close to, that God is going to bring down your house and bring judgment. But if you look at guys like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, Jonah, I don't think any of them probably liked the calling that they were given. And we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, coming up. But Samuel at this point is not a hero. He's just a kid. We've had kind of a vision of him uh, as you read the text uh, that he shows up and while all of this corruption is going on, he's dressed in a white linen robe. Samuel at this point is pure. But there's an interesting thing that in verse 7 of our text, we read this. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. This is highlighted, I think, by the fact that uh, when he does talk to Eli, uh, Eli figures this out. When things happen three times in the Bible, you take notice. Uh, Samuel probably thought, oh my, uh, he's blind and he's probably losing his mind too. Why does he keep calling me? Uh, And then Eli tells him, it's God talking to you. And so, next time you hear it, say this. Speak, Lord, speak, Yahweh, for your servant hears. There's a very subtle difference when Samuel actually does speak. What Samuel actually says, uh, 
in verse 10 is not speak Lord, not speak Yahweh for your servant hears. He just says speak for your servant hears. And I wonder if that's not showing that Samuel's not quite convinced yet that, that it's God who's speaking. And one of the amazing things about this text, I think, is that God chooses to appear to Samuel, that he chooses to appear at all. That in the midst of all this wickedness, in the midst of all this corruption, God appears to a young kid who doesn't know what's going on. Now, God does work in patterns. And one of the patterns that we see throughout especially the Old Testament, but even on into the New, is that God tends to pass over the obvious choice and to pick the unexpected, the unspectacular, the runt, the unworthy. If you think of Abraham, Abraham was an old man. Everyone around figured he and Sarah were pretty much done. They hadn't had a child. Abraham thought he was done. God appears to Abraham. Says, I'm going to give you a child. Jacob, whose name means he grasps at the heel, or if we use modern language, leg puller. He was a liar. He was a cheat. Tried to manipulate people, and sometimes I think even God. God picks him. Then you have David, who is the son that Jesse doesn't even think is worth having in the room when Samuel shows up later in his life and is supposed to pick the next king of Israel. And then you go down the 12 disciples. Fishermen. God picks those that we don't expect. And so he does here, and he comes to Samuel, and he says, I'm going to do something. Now, Eli, I think, has a lot of flaws. We see that Eli is not a a father who has been able to bring up his children uh, in true knowledge of the Lord. Uh, How much of that is Eli's fault, and how much is the fault of his sons is, is not made completely clear, but... God does call him to task for it, and he says, Eli, your house is going to come to an end. Samuel receives a call, and Eli, despite his faults, gives him the best possible answer to to God speaking to you, which is, I'm here. Here I am. Samuel is a kid. His response is not that amazing in some senses. What does Samuel do right? He says, God, I'm here. I'm listening. And God speaks to him. And he gives him the message. And one of the things we see happen Uh, as I'll talk about in a moment, is Samuel becomes a prophet, a true prophet of God, and this is the beginning. 
But I want to talk a little bit more about God's choice of Samuel. And uh, again, throughout the scriptures, we see that God tends to use those that are not expected. Even when it comes to the nation of Israel, in Deuteronomy 7, uh, verses 7 through 9, God says this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the hand of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord, your God, is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Israel was not chosen because of their faithfulness. If you read the Old Testament, you see that clearly. One of the things we talk about when I teach uh, the Old Testament to seventh graders is that the people are not the heroes of the story. When you read about Abraham, Abraham is not the hero of his story. Uh, he doubts God often. Uh, when you look at David, David is not the hero of David's story. He does really well, and then he blows it massively. Rather, God chose Israel so that he could demonstrate his own character, that God could be the hero and the savior of a people who did not deserve it. So it is in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here you have that played out as you have a young kid chosen to be God's spokesman. That out of everyone, God picks some junior high kid who doesn't even know who he is and says, you're going to be my prophet and you are going to deliver Israel. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And as God chose Samuel, not because of anything in him, so God chooses us, not because we are great, not because we are worthy, not because we are pure, Rather, God chose us despite 
who we are. That despite our sin, despite our weakness, despite our unfaithfulness, despite the areas we could have done better, God said, you are going to be my child. And more than that, you are going to be my ambassador. You are going to bear my name, and I am going to do mighty things through you. One of the other subjects I've taught over the past few years uh, is eighth grade uh, medieval history and, and New Testament. And in speaking with eighth graders about uh, the reality of the Middle Ages, when 90% of people were peasants, 75% uh, at least of eighth graders are convinced that they would be nobility. <laughs> Most of the boys are convinced that they would be king. Now, your chances in the Middle Ages were something like, oh, 20 out of 60 million, I don't know, uh, that you would actually be the king. Uh, and even after explaining to them that all the people in the room would probably be digging in the dirt, all of them are convinced that they would be king and the people next to them would be serving them. Uh, and like, no. To find a king, to find a noble, we might even have to leave campus. Uh, <laughs> brothers and sisters, we often look, I think, at Christianity like that. That uh, as Americans in particular, uh, we have an innate something in us to pull ourselves pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, not just to the basic level, but to rise to the top. And when we talk about education, we don't talk about, we're going to teach you how to be a good servant so that when you have to dig in the mud, uh, you are going to be a good digger. Uh, we teach people to be leaders. And that, I think, spills over into Christianity quite often. That when we think of, of God calling us, our instinct, especially as American Christians, is to think, how am I going to be a leader? How am I going to rise up? And there's something in us that thinks, if I'm doing this right, I really should be a little bit like Billy Graham or the Apostle Paul or you name it, R.C. Sproul. Uh, American Christianity seems to hold high the idea that we accomplish something for Jesus. What do we see here? Samuel hears God in the night. What he gets, he's not that excited about. Uh, our text says that uh, after he hears God, he lies there. The Hebrew word can be sleep. I'm convinced he stared at the ceiling until the sun came up. And then he went and he did his normal glorious job of opening the door. And Eli comes and says, tell me what he said. And Eli adds, and if you don't tell me, may God do to you whatever he said you, he was going to do. And Samuel cannot have had great joy at expressing the message he was given. Verse 11. Behold, 
I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning this house from beginning to end. Eli has already heard this from God. Eli, because of the wickedness of your sons, I am going to tear down your house. Your line is going to end. The wickedness that has been done in my presence cannot be allowed to stand. Eli, to his credit, answers correctly again. Verse 18, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. But coming back to Samuel, Samuel is not given something glorious to do. He's given a pretty simple task. I want you to tell this to Eli. But this moment, even though it wasn't a very glorious moment, marks a change in, Eli, in, in Samuel. He has been called. And he has become a prophet. In the Old Testament, prophets were not the same as they are in something like Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, you have someone living in a cave where they're blind and uh, they predict the future. They do it in poetry. Most of the people can't tell what they're saying. Uh, even one is cursed with no one being able to understand what they say. Uh, and sometimes we get the idea that the, the role of the prophet is really to predict the future. And that does happen with biblical prophets. But the main goal of a biblical prophet is to speak the word of God. And the spe speaking the word of God is sometimes predicting the future. But very often, uh, the main message is really one of prosecution. That the prophet is God's attorney coming and prosecuting his case. A covenant lawyer saying, you have failed. And you have two options. You can do a plea bargain or you can be destroyed. Repent or these things are going to happen. And in some cases, as in Samuel's, there's no Eli you need to repent. That's gone. I'm going to do this. Now, there were also two things that were true of a prophet. If they were a real prophet, one, they had been called by God. Some of them, like Isaiah, get to stand in God's presence to see God in his glory. Some, like Samuel, hear a call in the night. But they all are called directly by God. Samuel doesn't receive a letter from someone else. Uh, he doesn't just figure this out for himself. God appears to him and speaks to him, calls him by name, and sends him on a message. The other, the other thing that is true of a biblical prophet is that their words come true. That when they do predict the future, it happens. And what do we find toward the end of our text today? Verse 19, and Samuel grew 
and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, Samuel was a true prophet who stood in God's presence, who spoke the very words of God to the people. Now, it's also interesting that Samuel doesn't really perform any miracles. Uh, Samuel is not uh, one of the prophets who gets to raise people from the dead and cure diseases. Samuel's life is one of speaking the word of God. First Peter 4.10 Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When we receive a call from God, like Samuel receives a call from God, the goal is not for us to rise to the top, to become glorious ourselves, to be well-known, to be well-thought-of, to be a person who can point and say, look what I did. Instead, we're called to serve. That's the message that Jesus gave to us, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. How much more for us who have been chosen not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Brothers and sisters, our goal is to respond the way Samuel did, to say, here I am. Which raises the question, does God call out to us today? I am not one to deny uh, the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, to deny that God does things that I cannot explain, especially when you get outside, uh, out into the mission field. There are things going on that do not make sense to me, and sometimes uh, putting them through my theological categories, I am left with, what do I do with this? But by and large, living in the New Testament age, living after the age of the, uh, the apostles, being told by Paul that we should desire the greater gifts, not of speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing, but faith, hope, and love. We should not expect that God will show up in the middle of the night and call us by name verbally. And that can seem a little bit disappointing. I said at the beginning, sometimes we get the idea that the, the Old Testament was packed full of this awesome, amazing stuff and that every Israelite living had seen miracles. And the reality was, it was a pretty dry and difficult thing and God didn't speak that often. 
Hebrews 1 says this. Hebrews 1, 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Brothers and sisters, God has spoken to us more clearly than to Samuel. He has spoken to us more directly than he did to Moses. Jesus, talking to the disciples, said, It is better for me to leave and for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And Peter, as we talked about last week a little bit, at Pentecost, in Acts 2, stands up with the eleven, in verse two, Acts 2.14, says this, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Moving ahead, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. One of the things that does not seem intuitive to us is that the truth is we have far greater, far more direct access to God and to his word than anyone who lived in the Old Testament and than many who lived in the New Testament. We have the completed word of God. And when we think about God calling us, it is through his word that God speaks. Chris talked about this with the children. And it is the spirit that moves in us to give us insight into what God is doing. And I will admit that we have to be careful uh, that our own desires and our own emotions uh, are not elevated to the point that well, I really feel called uh, to go have ice cream because that's what I really desire. That, that's not the spirit. That's my stomach. Uh, but the scripture is clear that it is through the word and through the spirit that we are called. Some of us will be called to be pastors, some to elders some to deacons, some will not, and that's okay. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 to 31, Paul asking a, a rhetorical question where the answer, by the way, is no. Are all po- apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. 
What are the greater gifts? Faith, hope, and love. Micah 6.8, a verse that I've often returned to when I've looked at my own life and thought to myself, shouldn't I be doing something more important? Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What we are called to is something that God will reveal to us. What matters is often not what we think matters. What we will will be rewarded for will not necessarily be what we think we are rewarded for. And God will reward not our accomplishments, but our faithfulness and the response of faith that says, here I am. Now, if you're, not, if you're someone who, who doesn't know what God is calling you to do, or if you're someone here who is visiting or have been here a long time and feel like you have not heard God speak to you, go to his word. Seek him there. But there's also one other verse that I find very counterintuitive counterintuitive in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 11. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and make it your ambition lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders, and so you will not be dependent on anybody. I hear that, and I expect that Paul will say, go out and do great things for God. Paul says, Live a quiet life. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to be great. We are called to be humble. We are called to be servants. We are called to confess our sins and to receive forgiveness and then point to Jesus who did all these things so that we might have life. For he lifts up the humble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us.